Before we get into the blood sport that is American politics right now with our guest, Charles Croucher, a note from the sponsor of our show this week, KO. And with both winter codes of football launching, uh, you can watch every game, both the AFL and NRL Premiership seasons, anytime, anywhere in Australia with KO. And don't be like the rest of Australia and forget about Super Rugby, because you can also watch that too. And speaking of blood sports, you can get your UFC fix whenever you feel like it. All you got to do is sign up with your free trial today. So thanks to KO, and let's get on with the show. You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate radio show, live here from the Old City District in Batuta, recording in the Budgie Smuggler studio. Now, there's been a lot going on of late. There's been a lot of elections. It feels like we get a cluster of elections that we're invested in, the Australian news cycle's invested in. We get a cluster of them uh, every every few years, all in a row. Uh, obviously, last year we had the federal election, uh, the Australian federal election, and then shortly after that we had the British election, and now, obviously, one that we've steered clear of because it's of no interest to, me- to that many people in Batuta is the American federal election. Mm-hmm. Yes, we've been focusing more on the local council elections that are coming up later this year. We've got a swathe of very strong local candidates and Keith Carton's looking to cement his 17th term as mayor of Petuta. And uh, from all things we know, it's going to happen again. Keith Carton's Real Australian Party uh, are looking good to take out the mayor again, mayor position again. But... Uh, in an equally controversial uh, political chasm on the other side of the world, we have a Republican president, Donald Trump, who is, at this point in time, going to be running up against one or two leathery men who are actually older than him uh, in the shape of Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. So to talk about that today, we're crossing live with Channel 9's US correspondent, Charles Croucher. How are you, Croucher? I'm great. Just thinking of Keith Carton on his 17th term, he's still younger than all three men in the race over here. Mm. Yeah, he is. And he's done a lot of living, as as all of them have done. As a lot, yeah. you know, they, they, I mean, Trump's never drunk. Bernie looks like he's kept it pretty tidy. But Joe Biden, do you reckon he's had a few dinner parties in his time? So Joe Biden's a bit like Trump in that they both try to stay away from booze because of like family histories, which is always one of those issues. You think maybe there was something when they were a bit younger as well. Mm. But Joe Biden has definitely done the Washington circuit for a long time, decades. And that we, we say kind of uh, in, in this current position where we're in, like it doesn't look good for Bernie Sanders at this point at, at all. But Bernie Sanders is the grandfather that still works as a bootmaker, you know? He's 80 years old. He's still at work. You can leave him there all day long. He can help out in the restaurant as well. But then you've got Joe Biden, who's kind of the grandpa that all the aunties are fussing about and, you know, want to make sure he's he's had dinner. And has anyone seen him? He's the grandpa that kind of uh, retired six years ago and has started thinking about coming back. It's like those rugby league players that come back after six years and everyone's like, oh, I'm not sure if that's a good idea idea and I'm not sure how how that affects your long-term mental health. That's Joe Biden at the moment, except he's 77 years old. Yes, there is a certain Len Ainsworth quality to to, to Joe Biden here. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I guess exactly right. Another metaphor is he is the Jamal Idris of American politics. Due for a comeback. (laughs) 
Everyone thought he was done. <laughs> was part of a really good team in about 2012. That's about right. <laughs> now, can you tell us, you've seen it, and you, you, you are luckily an insider outsider. You've got to actually, you know, a lot of uh, American media aren't in the position you are in, whereas you're not overly invested in the result as, as a countryman. But you are a nerd, top to bottom. I mean, you've always been a nerd. We've seen you uh, mm-hmm. since your early days in Darwin. You know, you got your head around Darwin's volatile political climate at the time, <laughs> and now, and now, of course, you've um, translated those skills to the American uh, presidential race. What are you seeing? Can you can you break down the brands that we've got? I mean, it's everyone talks about deplorables, the Trump voters, the Bernie Bros. But what what does each of the three 70-something men currently in the race. <laughs> what do they all represent to American identity? Well, Donald Trump is and whaps himself in the flag, sometimes wraps the flag in himself and kisses it on stage. But Donald Trump is has this stranglehold on patriotism or what is believed to be patriotic, particularly in some of those smaller flyover states. You know, we've all seen the Trump rallies. I can tell you they are out of this world when you actually go to them. The energy. Now, there are old people that walk a couple of Ks in the rain, in some examples, to line up to then get inside to hear what is effectively the same speech time and time again. But these are <laughs> fanatical fans. There are young fans. There are older fans. They give. They you know they vote with their feet. They vote with their wallets, and they love the president. And the thing about Donald Trump is they have made up their mind. He says that he could shoot someone in Fifth Avenue. I reckon he can go even further than that, and they would still vote for him. The Bernie Bros are kind of similar in their own way. This is a lot of young people, though, and a real bulk of young people who are looking at the world now and saying there have been political institutions for the last couple of decades that have put the tip the odds against us. They've got their thumb on the scales and they're making it hard for us. And what they're seeing in Bernie Sanders is someone who is genuine, he's authentic, he has always been this way, and they're also seeing their student debt paid off they're seeing free college in the future. They're seeing legalised marijuana everywhere and thinking this could be a good life as well. They're seeing a more egalitarian society. The question then becomes, what's Joe Biden's crowd? Yes. And I think what he's banking on is everyone else. Yeah, right. Everyone yeah. that's not a deplorable or not a Bernie bro that kind of liked the way things were going under Barack Obama that maybe want to see things drift a little bit back to the left, but in essence want to see things quietened down. Now, there's so much noise over here, and we see it a little bit in the in Australia as it filters back through, but they just want things to go back to normal. And Joe Biden has been normal for so long. He's just been part of the furniture. Like He's been in the Senate for, I think it was near on four decades, then became vice president. You know, he's, he's rough around the edges. He was middle class, Joe. He's gaff prone, which we know. But that's kind of, it's comforting. It's warm to them. It's something they can feel safe and secure with. And I think that's what he's really banking on if he is the candidate that takes on Trump in, in 2020. I just want to turn the focus now to uh, who could potentially be the running mate, because that's also quite important, as we saw with John McCain yeah. years and years ago, how uh, choosing the wrong running mate can be just as bad as you know anything else. Who do you think, had, uh, in the hypothetical situation that Joe Biden does roll Bernie, who do you think out of the establishment is going to run with Joe? 
So if you're Joe Biden, the big challenge is getting all those young people that fell in line with Bernie Sanders to come out and vote because Hillary Clinton didn't do that. So Hillary Clinton chooses Tim Kaine. He's establishment. He's reliable. He's from Virginia. And the Bernie bros just stayed home. Now, there's lots of reasons for that. But there's an old saying that Democrats fall in love, Republicans fall in line. So Republicans will fall in line behind their candidate. If you've fallen in love with Bernie Sanders, like so many people over here have, Mm -hmm. what's going to inspire you to get out go to the polls in some situations you know hold your nose close your eyes and vote for the democrat even though it's not the one you're in love with and i think that's where joe biden will be looking i think he'll want progressive he's he realizes his age so he wants someone young so you've got to look at someone around 50 or younger you want someone that's probably a woman because that's the way of the future that's the way that america has so desperately needed for a while and they're looking around and saying They haven't had a female president or vice president looking at every other sort of Western country and thinking perhaps we're a little behind the times. And then if you're Joe Biden, you've got a big question. Do you look at uh, the minorities and say we need someone uh, Latino to try and win back those voters that have gone to Bernie Sanders? Do we double down on the African-American vote because they were the people that got Barack Obama across the line in that coalition and there are some great candidates there? Or do you look at someone who needs to be able to step into the job? Because let's be honest, Joe Biden is 77. And and there is the chance that in four years' time. The other thing to look at, Joe Biden's not going to run again in 2004. He he so much has admitted that last week. He said he's a bridge to the next generation. So go through that that scenario. It's people like Kamala Harris from California, Mm -hmm. a senator. Very popular. Uh, Stacey Abrams from Georgia is probably my tip at the moment. She's electrifying with that's, young people. They that's love your value her. bet. That's your value that's bet. That's the value bet. You yep. get good price for it too at the moment. Yep. Uh, she's great. Or maybe Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. Okay. Now, she's someone who the Bernie bros like. She's progressive. I mean, or you can really roll the dice and go like Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. <laughs> but I think she might be a little bit risky. Or yeah. Tulsi. For his yeah, ideas. Yeah. Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. She's still in the race, by the way. She, she is. might be the last person still in She there. hasn't pulled out. She got one delegate in American... She got... She's Samoan and got less votes in Samoa than Michael Bloomberg. Bloomberg. Yeah. Um, Michael Bloomberg had seven people on staff in where American Samoa. Though. Like he was spending. Like, yeah. So I think they're they're the three big candidates. Look, Cory Booker would be great as well. Like he's electrifying, young, African American. It, it's it's someone from that field. Tell, tell us a little bit about the race uh, before this particular moment. Was was this Bloomberg thing? Is there is there any strategy? Is there any excellence to this madness? As we just mentioned, he spent he had seven full time staff in American Samoa, which was the only state that he won uh, territory mm. slate mm. state slash territory that he won. <laughs> um, I mean, that's a lot of money. American Samoa, you could have yeah. probably taken that with targeted Facebook ads. You didn't need seven people on the ground. Yeah, because like- according to our calculations here, he basically spent eight point two million dollars per delegate. He got yeah, and look. That's that's money terribly spent. I mean, that'd be like uh, an Australian party investing all in on Christmas Island yeah. just to win that booth that's yeah. part of some other seat. Yeah. Um, he was probably one good debate yeah. away from being where Joe Biden is now. Really? And that all stay. Yeah, things things went better for him in that debate. That was the one chance people got to see of him, and he just got pillared by Elizabeth Warren. I mean, she just tore him apart. She filleted him on stage. And that was kind of his whole campaign done. A few days later, Joe Biden wins South Carolina. Then all the all the establishment Democrats, the moderates, fall in behind him. And it, we've seen the most remarkable turnaround in about mm. 50 years. 
it all sort of started then. Had he not made that debate stage, he was the popular one because Joe Biden was one of those fragile front runners. No one was really sure about him. Everyone liked him in the, the moderates. Yeah. They just weren't sure about him. And once he started winning, I think they, they thought he was their man. You know, the, the, we travel around and, and we've spoken to so many Democrats and the one thing they all want is to beat Donald Trump. You know, we have a saying, the key word is the E word, electability. And the way you prove you're electable is by winning elections. And Joe Biden just started doing that. And had had Mike Bloomberg done that somewhere better, then I think the party would have swung in behind him as well. Uh, Elizabeth Warren was leading the race six months ago. She was on the ascension and there was no way of catching her. It was the big question was, should Bernie pull out? Yeah. Kamala Harris, six, uh, eight months ago, was leading after she did the same thing that Elizabeth Warren did to Bloomberg. She did it to Joe Biden in the first debate. So there's never been a clear front runner. You know, this time last year, it was probably Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. Funnily enough, that's where they ended up. But at no stage did that seem stable, and that's continued even until now. Do you think that uh, hypothetically, if Bernie Sanders gets the nod, would he take Elizabeth Warren along with him, or would it be more wise for them to really uh, for the Warren campaign to hand over the delegates to Bernie and give it one red-hot crack. Yeah, I think the red-hot crack, and I think he faces the same problem Joe Biden does, right? He is 78 years old. He's, he's a white male, and that's just so far away from where the Democratic Party is these days. You know, it's meant to be this inclusive big tent, and here you've got the, you know, the yeah. two oldest men in the race effectively fighting it out. Again, same names would come up with him, Stacey Abrams, uh, Kamala Harris, possibly there's some some pretty sort of out there uh, Congress women that he could choose that would really sort of take on this and really push the revolution. <laughs> or Tulsi Gabbard yep. is actually not, not not out of the case for him. And that'd be just that that would be like having having uh, Sarah Palin on the ticket. It'd be wild yeah. again, and it's going to be yeah. a wild enough election given who's on the other side. Have there been any? I mean, obviously you've just said a lot of surprises. It hasn't been very stable. And it was really going to the, the party was going to back whichever horse pulled away a full horse length, and that seems to have been Joe Biden at this point. Could have been any of them. But what yeah. what are the more individual surprises you've seen across? I mean, was Nevada the biggest surprise so far? Just how much Bernie Sanders uh, managed to galvanise the Latino vote. You know, yeah. he's known as T.O. Bernie, Uncle yeah. Bernie. It's yeah. this real sort of faction of the of the community he's picked up really well pete Buttigieg kind of came from nowhere like yep. there's a guy who's a small town mayor of a you know town slightly bigger than batuta but not by much uh who managed to somehow become the, the cool young face of the democrats uh, despite being from indiana he was a war veteran he was gay and married to his husband he spoke six languages he was the most unlikely uh, a candidate, yet he was—he won Iowa, like he won the first contest, and then it was probably the disappointing results, like Beto O'Rourke, who was the big shining star after 2018, who did mm -hmm. nothing, yeah. came in, sort of flailed around, uh, said he's going to take everyone's guns, and then bowed out a few weeks later. <laughs> it's, it's been like there were just so many people in this race too, and then I guess Marianne Williams. Uh, Williamson, who was the uh, the clairvoyant, was Oprah's spiritual guider and, and got herself somehow onto the first debate stage and then 
spent most of the time speaking about positive vibes and auras and said she was going to take on Jacinda Ardern and say game on girlfriend about being the new cool leader and she's still uh. a figure here somehow oh and then the, the Yang Gang that was yeah. the one that actually yeah. probably is the biggest thing they were great but the Yang Gang is a whole new era and if, if, if Andrew Yang's if the Yang Gang can show up uh, that would go a long way to help Joe Biden as well so did, 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 did the Yang Gang like how, how big a base are we talking Andrew Yang the guy that was really into digital currencies and uh, yeah. universal Personal basic income basic yeah. income like he's going to give everyone everyone a thousand bucks a month that was his idea <laughs> what how big how big was that following by the end of it they're very passionate online pretty big like he's still he was still polling fours and fives and i got in a lift with him one day in uh in detroit before one of the debates and just him and i and i was like hey how you going he's she said, yeah, I'm really good. Like my badge. And the badge said math on it. And that was it. That was our entire conversation. Like, this is a strange guy. But, hey, he's got some great ideas. And I think I wouldn't be surprised if the Democrats win, and that's a huge if, uh, if he's not part of some kind of uh, a cabinet position as well because he's got a big support, a big following, and, and sort of shifted the conversation by a lot more than the established. There were governors and, and senators and stuff that didn't shift the conversation as much as Andrew Yang did. It's the same as that Pete Buttigieg. It's like these guys shouldn't, in using all kind of logic, shouldn't have been on the debate stage in the first place, but they were really driving it and they were a real force in the race. Well, I've heard he's going to have a tilt at being the mayor of New York, but yeah, that remains to be seen. But I'd just like to move on to uh, Super Tuesday. This is, this is the next big contest that's coming up mm-hmm. for Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders where there's, you know, upwards of four to 500 delegates on offer here and this is probably going to make or break the two candidates and the and the seats yeah up there are are arizona florida illinois ohio and a few days after you've got georgia they seem like a good mix of states i mean you've got ones in the south you got one in the north you got one in the middle how do you reckon each candidate's going to fare on Tuesday, so, so Florida, Florida uh, is pretty strong. Joe Biden country, good mix of, of elder Americans down there that swing Biden, good mix of African Americans down there that swing Biden, and also Bernie Sanders has been pretty vocal in some of his support for dictators in the past, particularly Fidel Castro. That doesn't sit well with the Cubans in Florida. I think they will come out and vote against him, so that's going to hurt. Uh, Arizona is interesting because that's Bernie Sanders, big Latino base. But Joe Biden's uh, Arizona, the, 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 the most loved politician in Arizona has been for decades is John McCain. Funnily enough, yeah. the guy you mentioned, he's Arizona. John McCain's best friend is Joe Biden. Yeah. They ran against each other, but Joe Biden spoke at John McCain's really? funeral. I think that will have a big impact on how he's seen in, in Arizona. Ohio is always a huge swing state. That's one of the Bernie's sort of loved areas from 2016. I wouldn't be surprised if that's his last stand up there. And then Illinois was, of course, Barack Obama's home yeah. state. So there's still some pretty uh, some pretty goodwill towards Joe Biden there. And I do wonder whether Barack Obama is starting to just nudge his weight in one direction sooner yeah. or later whilst he's remaining out of the race officially. So after that, there's not too many big contests left. I mean, there's uh, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, and that's really about it. Yeah, New York, where where Bernie Sanders was born, Pennsylvania, where Joe Biden was born. Uh, by that stage, I think the race will probably be over, yeah. and they'll at least know who's going to go into the, the, the conference with the most delegates. And uh, really, 
I think unless it's neck and neck or Bernie Sanders is in full-blown revolution mode, if if Bernie Sanders is leading by, by a margin, Joe Biden will quit. If Joe Biden's leading by a margin, Bernie Sanders will quit. If it's close, it's going to be the messiest two months yeah. uh, since like the 60s over here in politics, and, and that will only benefit Donald Trump. So when was the last time they called it that late in the game? No, the 60s. Who would it have been? Like... At the convention, there was a bit of drama at the convention in 68. That was uh, the Democratic convention when Bobby Kennedy was leading, of course, and then yeah. got shot. Yeah. Uh, and so that ended up pretty messy. Uh, late 50s, from memory, they were trying to run against Eisenhower, the Democrats again, and things got really ugly. And then there was one around the time uh, just after uh, Jimmy Carter. Would be, with the, the election Jimmy Carter won, it was Gerald Ford going to 76 when uh, Ronald Reagan had his first crack, and that got really ugly towards the convention on the Republican side. But most of the time, people just give in and, and, and march from there. Now, can you um, just give us a little bit of a rundown here on that? You mentioned it before, the uh, obviously the Obama legacy that Joe gets to carry, Joe Biden gets to carry, but also you've got this African-American voter base who just aren't that interested in Bernie Sanders, not unlike the Latinos that we mentioned earlier, Latino-Hispanic. But Joe Biden, do you think he carries this kind of loyalty from um, from black America because he played second fiddle to that Afri- the first African-American president for eight years? Yeah, it can't hurt. Yeah. You know, he's good enough for Barack Obama. He's good enough for me yeah. in many ways. He got the endorsement of a guy named Jim Clyburn who... Uh, Right now, he's effectively the kingmaker. What he did for Joe Biden in South Carolina kick-started, along with Mike Bloomberg's demise, but really told all those voters in South Carolina, you can trust this guy. And that really set the ball rolling for Joe Biden. That was a few weeks ago. And the the vote before Super Tuesday... Uh, I think they, uh, the African-American voters, and of course not everyone votes the same, but pretty loyal to Joe Biden as well because he's been around for so long and he goes to church in Georgia, he goes to churches in South Carolina, he's a Catholic. I think he would be, uh, this could be wrong, the second Catholic yeah. uh, president behind uh, Kennedy. Yeah, like this yeah. is a, it's, it's sort of a thing. Of course, Bernie Sanders would be the first Jewish president if he's elected yeah. too. So that's a thing as well. There's history on both well, sides. The, the American, American middle is quite, I mean, Catholicism in Australia is a big bush thing. It's out. It's out west. Uh, are you a, a young altar boy yourself uh, in the Hunter Valley, Charles? I you'd, am. You'd, you'd remember, but the uh, that that's a regional thing in Australia. In, in America, Catholicism is more the cities and towns, and of yeah. course, Latino mm. areas and the mafia. But it, but in the middle, in the middle, it's <laughs> Protestant, um, Protestant evangelical. Evangelicals, yeah. yeah, and that's that's who's right behind the president at the moment. Yeah. So that becomes its own battle. And I think, it, look, Joe Biden is, is moderate. I think mm-hmm. largely the African American community are moderate as well, yeah. and they, he sort of sort of appeals more to, to their their spot on the on the political spectrum. Obviously, not everyone votes the same, but overwhelmingly so far. And and really, we saw it. Uh, in the states that voted last week, states like Michigan and Missouri, where, you know, one place Joe Biden won the African-American vote by 70 points or something. It's just become a non-event, which mm. is almost unexplainable too because Bernie Sanders is espousing policies that would probably benefit a, a lot of sort of lower-class African-American communities, less so those that are in the middle class and wealthier. But, you know, there's a lot of voters there that just aren't listening to his message at all. Yep, so... All of this discussion, Charlie, could be for nothing because they're going to have to uh, jump the biggest hurdle and that's knocking Donald off his perch. Are we going to see an election result like we saw in 19... 
84 or is this going to be more or less like a 2000? I think closer to 2000 than 84. 84 is, I just don't know that Ronald Reagan was beloved by everyone by that stage, yeah. or at least a large amount by that stage. And also the, the, the maps have changed and America's terribly divided. The blue areas are getting bluer, the red areas are getting redder, and there's less in between. That is, those that vote Democrat uh, congregating at the big cities in large cases are, are getting more Democrat, and the Republican areas, many places of the regions, are getting more Republican. So I don't think there's the scope for that kind of huge win mm. like we saw. Look, Donald Trump is the favourite. There's no doubt about it. He has an election machine that is better funded, better resourced, better organised than it was uh, four years ago, he has a Republican Party that is entirely his. It wasn't four years ago. People forget Ted Cruz went to that convention and didn't endorse Donald Trump. He told people to vote their conscience up and down the ticket. At one point, the Speaker of the House said he was just going to campaign for local candidates and forget about the president. Like Things were going badly for that Trump campaign. Mm. Not much could have gone worse, and he still won. Mm. So they would be confident heading in. Uh, the question is whether... Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders can get enough of the Democrats to show up this time because, as you'd know, Donald Trump didn't win with a huge amount of voters, but he won in the right spots. It was smart campaigning, smart investing. Now, uh, you look at those states that were part of Hillary's blue wall, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, will they come home again this time to the Democrats or will Donald Trump keep hold of them? And now, of course, Ted Cruz who made life so hard for Donald Trump in that initial presidential dash, is suffering from coronavirus. <laughs> There's a few of them over here. And that might be, that's the X factor that, you know, no one can really play to. Yeah. Like, what does that do to the economy? Because the economy is singing at the moment. Yeah. That's going to be the thing that Donald Trump holds his hat on. However, he is not unbeatable, yeah. uh, which no. is too many negatives. But this is a guy who lost elections uh, and couldn't get guys, couldn't get candidates across the line in Kentucky. Uh, the same thing happened uh, down in Alabama. You know, these are these are red states that didn't vote for Donald Trump, and then or didn't vote for Donald Trump's candidates. And then the same thing happened in that midterm election. So Democrats will be confident. The question is, as we said, can the Bernie Bros suck it up and vote for Biden? Can the Biden crew, the moderates, if Bernie wins, go to the polls and show up? Or does Donald Trump's momentum, you know, he's got fundraising, he's got crowds and all that thing. There is also a crazy scenario that is also possible this time where Bernie Sanders or, or Joe Biden wins uh, Michigan and Pennsylvania. Uh, Donald Trump holds on to Wisconsin and picks up a seat in Maine and we have a 269 each tie on the Electoral College. And then we <laughs> it goes into weird places after that. It's highly possible, unlikely but possible, and that would be such a 2020 result if that's the way it went. So can you tell us a little bit about, um, just quickly before we let you go, you're, um, so, so for those listening at home, Charlie Croucher is is via uh, Skype here and he's doing this outside just away from the noise of his uh, of his rowdy household, which also means to the, to the passers-by, you're having a very animated LA phone conversation. <laughs> yeah. We're in an apartment building as well and I'm kind of yelling at some point. Yeah. I think I'd love it. Um, can you tell us a little bit about coronavirus? Because one stat that we always look at when we talk about the momentum of Donald Trump, um, has he gained voters or has he lost them? Has he would, would he have gained voters since the last time he was elected? To, you were over there in 2016, and he didn't like not he played Moneyball. Not many people turned yeah. out for him. Less people turned out for Donald Trump than Mitt Romney in an election that Mitt Romney lost to Obama. I mean, obviously he won votes where they matter in uh, you know regional booths. We have that same 
uh, same thing in Australia. Yeah. Um, where you can kind of you can game it a little bit if you win. You know, electorates uh, yeah. by talk, talk to Kim Beasley about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so effectively, he won that election on three hundred thousand votes across uh, very pivotal delegations or booths across America. Can you tell us is coronavirus going to affect the turnout? Do you think? And has oh, it so already dramatic. has it already affected turnout in the primaries? Well, it's crazy in the primaries where we have now at the stage where rallies are being cancelled, you know, the debate had no crowd. Mm -hmm. uh, this stuff is all, all unprecedented and kind of wild as well, and it's so hard to predict. And Donald Trump gets so much energy and so much of his publicity from those rallies. They're huge. By the way, so does Bernie Sanders. His rallies are much bigger than Joe Biden's, and that's part of his appeal. You know, young people get out turn out and and shout out they scream for bernie and he has bands like the strokes uh playing with him there's all these kind of groups that get up and and support him public enemy uh, public enemy yeah minus flavor flav um <laughs> that was here in california um look the biggest impact will be the economy and if the economy goes and it gets really hard for donald trump because yeah. the, the statistics and the history even though donald trump tends to defy statistics and history as he always does but you're right about that that tactical money ball is the way you call it there's you know there's a saying over here that if you've got five dollars in one pocket and the popular vote in the other then you can get a well, i guess a schooner a patooter bitter yeah. the, the the lord gladstone yeah if you haven't got the five dollars though you've got nothing yeah and that's what hillary clinton walked home with she yeah. had the popular vote in one pocket but she got nothing yeah, and, and that's what what someone like Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden. Look at. Bernie Sanders would beat Donald Trump by, I would imagine, yeah, millions possibly in yeah. in California. But it's still only worth the same amount as a vote where you win California by one, and that's the biggest problem. So coronavirus is a huge X factor, one that would be hard to think of an example in the past where that's had to play a part. You know, whether it impacts voting or not. We'll wait and see, but but the economy certainly, and if people can't travel, then that becomes another big thing. Well, when you say when you say the economy's doing all right, it's singing at the moment. What does that mean in America? Does that mean you know, um, like like it meant in Australia during the mining boom, where you know people in the suburbs are buying high end chops? You know what I mean? What, what does it mean in America? Does it yeah. are people in the Rust Belt back at work? Is that what fewer, fewer jet skis, more people at work? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's, it, it's the hard part. If people are employed, they might be underemployed. They might be working, uh, you know, multiple part-time jobs. And the big thing over here that doesn't necessarily mean they get healthcare. And that's the biggest part. You know, Nancy Pelosi, who's for now the senior Democrat, she said this election is going to be one on six words: healthcare, healthcare, healthcare. Yeah. And so that's where Democrats are going. Donald Trump will say, "Look at unemployment rates." You know, if you have a job, you have a way to a living, you're on that ladder, you start to climb. Uh, look, Wall Street's not the economy, but it's a pretty good marker and it's easy to see and something you can point to. And that's what Donald Trump's done. Yeah. Uh, and if these tax cuts are going to come in, then that's going to be more money in people's pockets. And, and that goes back to that Reagan campaign of 80 when he said, you know, is it easy if you go to the shops and buy things? And, and Trump will say something similar. It's morning in America again. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's morning in Batuta. <laughs> Well, it's evening in LA, so thank you for joining us. <laughs> Not for the people in this apartment. <laughs> They're yeah. frantically Googling Batuta and getting upset at me. Yeah. Getting real nervous. Now, um, thank you for joining us, uh, Crouch. Uh, anything else, You anything? any other curveballs to come? Or do you reckon it's just now? I mean, if it's neck and neck, New York will be the decider. 
Maybe. Yeah, New York's New York's pretty pretty establishment. I think they would swing. Their governor Andrew Cuomo was one of the first to come out behind Joe Biden. I think they'd swing in behind Joe Biden. I guess the mayor Bill De Blasio is one of the few people to endorse Sanders, so that'd be a fun race. But I think that'd be somewhere Joe Biden would be pretty confident of winning. At what point in the 2008 campaign do you reckon Obama tore away? Because he was a surprise. He he was not the value bet. No, he he won. He won Iowa first up lost badly in New Hampshire. I think he was probably, again, South Carolina, Nevada, like yeah. into Super Tuesday, yeah. got his nose in front. And, and by that stage, it became almost okay for people to swing in behind Barack Obama, where before it was, you know, the establishment was behind Hillary. And I think since then he was sort of gone. In many of the same ways, like Bernie Sanders in 16 got in front uh, in using Michigan, which yeah. he, he lost last week, but using Michigan all of a sudden became this race. So... Yeah, Obama was, I mean, that was a movement as well. He had people turning out. He had celebrities turning out. He had the money and the yeah. fundraising. And, and that was kind of, that was over once he got past Super Tuesday. And that was when he was still in his 40s, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, Bill, Bill Clinton could run today and he would be the youngest person in the field of the three men. He's younger than Donald Trump, younger than Bernie Sanders, young, younger than Joe Biden. He left office 20 years ago. <laughs> That's it's wild. Yeah, yeah. He was still getting <laughs> erections when he was in office. <laughs> yeah, that, that was one of the issues. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, Croucher, and all the best. Uh, you'll be you'll be back in Australia on nine soon. 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 Look forward to it. See you soon, soon. mate. All right. See you, Crouch. Thank you.